Ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention, please? It is time for the Wednesday night sermon. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, North Jersey. I'm glad to see you all for the Wednesday night service. As you can see, I am not Pastor Tim. But don't leave just yet. Don't head for the doors because there's still a message for tonight. If you don't know who I am, my name is Justin Jenkins, and I'm part of Pastor Tim's men's mentorship group. And as long as the Lord gives me breath and a pep in my step, I will be the guest speaker for tonight. First off, I want to thank the music team for leading us in singing praises to the Lord. I also want to thank Pastor Tim for taking me under his wing, mentoring me, and giving me the opportunity to speak tonight. Speaking of tonight, we will be going over Psalms 121. But before we start, I'm going to open us up in prayer. Mm -hmm. Dear Lord, thank you for getting us all here safely tonight. I pray for the congregation's understanding. I pray that you open up their understanding that they might understand the scriptures as well as tonight's message. I pray for your provision. Please provide me with your words of wisdom. It's not I who speaks, but it's you who speaks through me. I pray for edification. I pray that this message will be honoring to you and helpful to the congregation. Amen. Psalm 121, verse 1. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Think of a time when you were in an unfavorable position and you sought out assistance. Perhaps your car broke down. Perhaps you were driving down Route 21, Route 46, or right here at Paulison Avenue. All of a sudden, you hear a snap in your car. Your car begins to make really loud noises, and you're losing control of the steering wheel. You don't know what's going on with your car, but what you do know is that something is wrong, and you need to get off to the side of the road immediately. You know that you need to contact roadside assistance to get your car to an auto mechanic. Or you got really sick. It's to the point where you find it hard to move around and even breathe. You're in constant pain throughout the day where it's hard for you to get any sleep at night. There's a sick feeling in your stomach that something is seriously wrong. So you make an appointment with a doctor to get a diagnosis. Personally, this past weekend, I was typing up the notes for this sermon. But while I was typing, my laptop screen blacked out. I turned my laptop on and restarted it to get my screen to work again, but the screen remained black for 30 minutes. 
I thought that I would have to go to Staples to get a new laptop, but after some prayer and patience, it eventually came back off. The examples I mentioned are instances where one has looked for help. What is help? Help is known as assistance. One party makes it easier for another party to do something through their services and abilities. It can go both ways where you're either the one who gives and helps somebody out, or you're the recipient where someone helps you out in your time of need. You go to the auto mechanic because you believe they can help fix your car. You go to the doctor because you believe he or she can help cure you of your illness. Therefore, you have a level of confidence that they can get you out of a difficult position. Psalm 121 is an example of someone who looked for help. To give some background and context, Psalm 121 is part of the Song of Ascents. In other versions, such as the King James Version, call it the Song of Degrees. The Song of Ascents is a collection of music the Israelites sang while they traveled to Jerusalem for specific feasts. In Deuteronomy 16.16, the prophet Moses commanded the male Israelites to appear before the Lord during the three pilgrimage fest. So every year at the time of these feasts, the male Israelites would come from all over Israel to celebrate and give to the Lord. One major feast is the Hag Hamatzat, which is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. This spring feast begins after Passover and on a Sabbath. For seven days, the Jews cease from eating anything that has leaven in it to symbolize the removal of sin in their lives. The second feast is a Shavuot, which is the Feast of Weeks. This spring feast takes 50 days after the second day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and officially 50 days after the Feast of the First Fruits. The Feast of Weeks celebrates Moses and the Israelites receiving the Torah, which is known as the Law. In the Old Testament, 50 days after Israel was delivered from Egypt, the Lord gave Moses and the Israelites the law to teach them how to live holy before them. This is akin to the New Testament, where 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord gave the Holy Spirit to all believers on Pentecost to teach them how to be more like Christ. The first feast is the Zakat, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacle is known as a dwelling place, and at this fall feast, the Israelites make booths, which are temporary huts. The Israelites then dwell in the booth for seven days as a reminder of how God brought them out of the land of Egypt. Something we can take from the Song of Ascents is we don't have to wait until we get to church to sing praises to the Lord. We can get a head start and sing praises to the one true God on our way there. Some of us like to play music in the car and sing to the lyrics while we commute to work or on a road trip. Likewise, we can play psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in our cars and sing praises to our God while we go to church. Another piece of background information is Jerusalem is in a mountainous region. Psalm 125.2 tells us the mountains surround Jerusalem. The city is surrounded by seven hills. You have the Mountain of Olives, Mount Scopus, Mount of Corruption, the Awful Hill, the original Mount Zion, New Mount Zion, and the hill on the Etonia Fortress. Five of these hills are at least 700 meters in elevation, and two of them, the Mount of Olives and Mount Scopus, are over 800 meters. If you're familiar with track and field, 
you probably know that 800 meters is equivalent to a half a mile. So the majority of the hills were about a half a mile high in elevation. Since Jerusalem is in a mountainous region, the Israelites who lived outside the city traveled uphill to get there. So the psalmist made the opening statement in verse 1, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. A hill can represent an obstacle literally and figuratively. In the literal sense, moving uphill is more challenging than moving on flat ground. For instance, if you run uphill or increase the incline on a treadmill, you may find it more difficult to breathe and more taxing on your legs. If you bike uphill, you may have to switch to a lower gear so you can pedal uphill easier. In the figurative sense, hills are akin to life's problems. Both are inevitable, which means you'll encounter them at some point in your life. By a show of hands, is there anyone who hasn't gone up a hill before? I know this hill at Paulson Avenue. I know it. <laughs> By a show of hands, is there anyone who hasn't had a problem in their life? Also, both take effort to overcome. Just as it takes effort to climb up a mountain, it takes effort to work through a problem. It takes effort to work through drug and alcohol addictions. It takes effort to work through conflict in a marriage. It takes effort to overcome gluttony and get in better health. Because hills can present a challenge, this may be a reason why the psalmist asks for the whereabouts of his help. This may be why he asks in verse 1, from whence comes my help. Whence means from what place. Although the psalmist asks from what place his help would come from, he either already knew the answer or figured it out shortly afterwards. The reason I come to that conclusion is because in verse 2, the psalmist declared the source of his help. My help comes from the Lord. So even though the psalmist had to face an obstacle such as the hills, he still looked to the Lord for help. Like the psalmist, when we face problems in our lives, we can look to the Lord for help. We don't have to let our problems overcome us. There's a tendency that when we are consumed by our problems, it can intimidate us and prevent us from moving forward. Throughout the rest of Psalm 121, the psalmist explained why his help came from the Lord. Tonight, we will look at four reasons to look to the Lord for help. Reason number one, he made heaven and earth. In the latter half of verse 2, the psalmist said, It's the Lord who made heaven and earth. His statement is in alignment with the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first day, he created the heavens, earth, day, and night. The second day, he created the firmament and made a wide-open expanse to divide the waters. The third day, he transferred the lower waters to be the seas on the earth. He also formed the dry land on the earth where he grew the grass, herb, seed, and fruit. The fourth day, he created the sun, moon, and stars in the firmament. The fifth day, he created the sea creatures and birds of the air. The sixth day, he created land creatures and mankind in his own image. And the seventh day, he rested. Because the Lord is the creator of the, the entire universe, he has more knowledge on how it operates than anyone else. Like engineers have superior knowledge about the machines they built, God has infinite knowledge about the world he built. Like bakers know about the ingredients they put into their goods, the Lord knows about everything he put into the world. In order to intentionally create something, you have to know how to make it. 
It will be very difficult for you to intentionally make something if you don't have the information or guidance on how to do so. If someone is more knowledgeable about something, we are more likely to ask them for help in that particular area. One reason is we tend to have more faith and trust that they will be able to help us. If you need help to improve your health, would you go to a certified fitness instructor or someone who never exercises? If you got seriously injured and needed surgery, would you seek help from a surgeon or someone who's not in the medical field? Personally, I know for myself, I will check out a business on Google and read the reviews before I go to them for help. I want to make sure they know what they're doing. If I see that a business has a rating below three stars, I will not be seeking help from them at all. So if we go to the experts, we are more knowledgeable for help. How much more should we go to the Lord who is all-knowing for help? Also, if someone is more knowledgeable about something, it's more likely that they'll be able to help. The certified fitness instructor can help you get in better shape compared to someone who never exercises. The surgeon is much more likely to perform a successful surgery compared to someone who isn't in the medical field. Likewise, the Lord can help us much better than anyone else in the universe. Since the Lord made the world, he has dominion and authority over it. In Revelation 4, verses 10 and 11, there was a scene where 24 elders paid homage to the Lord. They proclaimed, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things. Notice how the 24 elders recognize that the Lord is well-deserving of power since he made heaven and earth. When you have dominion and power, you tend to have authority. The more authority you have over something, the more control you have over it. The more control you have over something, the more you're able to make things happen, which includes the ability to help. Last year, I went to a pizzeria with a friend to get some food and drinks. When I went to the cash register, I pulled out my wallet to pay for the food. But then I saw the owner of the store. He approached me and my friend. Apparently, the manager, manager had a good relationship with my friend. And because of that, he let us have the food for free. He said, don't worry about paying. This one is on me. The owner was in a position of authority and therefore was able to help us get the food for free. Another example is the city of Seattle in 2020. After the murder of George Floyd, protesters and activists built a self-autonomous zone in their protest of police brutality. They first called the zone CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. They then switched to CHOP, the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest. For several weeks, this epicenter of anarchy was allowed to take over a six-block zone in the city. In the span of a few weeks, the zone had four shootings, two homicides, sexual assault, a shutdown police precinct, and multiple ruined businesses. At first, the mayor of Seattle thought that the Chaz Chop Zone was a block party atmosphere and could turn to a summer of love. But eventually, she thought things for what they were, especially after the protesters came to her house. She sent the police department to shut down the autonomous zone. Because the mayor of Seattle was in a position of authority, she was able to shut down the protests swiftly and help the city regain order. Ask yourselves, how much more is the Lord who has authority over the entire universe able to help? The second way the Lord helps is that he will not allow. 
In the first half of verse 3, the psalmist said, He will not allow your foot to be moved. Foot position is key when it comes to balance. It provides a base of support and foundation where we can stand upright. If for any reason your foot is moved out of position, you're more likely to lose your balance. If you're off balance, it's more likely that you'll fall. If you fall, it's more likely that you'll get hurt, perhaps seriously injured. For example, if the psalmist had to go through the mountains and hills to get to Jerusalem, it's probable that he had to go through steep and uneven terrain. It's more difficult to keep your balance on an uneven surface than it is on a smooth and flat one due to the continual shifts in the center of gravity. The center of gravity is your body's point of balance where your upper and lower body weight is balanced. If your center of gravity changes, your body has to work harder to keep balance. So, if the psalmist had to travel through uneven mountainous terrain, it's probable that he would go through areas where his foot could be moved and may stumble as a result. Hence, he looked to the Lord for help to get him through the rocky areas of his journey. In life, you'll encounter unforeseen circumstances that may knock you off balance. However, the Lord is more than capable to not allow your foot to be moved. The Lord can help you remain unwavering in unforeseen circumstances since he is unwavering in nature. In Malachi 3.6, the Lord proclaimed his unwavering character. I am the Lord. I do not change. Because God can only speak the truth, he can trust that he does not change. He is the same as he was in the Old Testament, and he is the same today as he will be in the future. Because the Lord is unwavering, he possesses stability. Because the Lord possesses stability, he can provide it to you. It's rather difficult for you to give something when you don't have it yourself. For instance, it's impossible for you to donate $300 to a charity if you don't have the money yourself. It's impossible for you to give candy to a child when you don't have the candy on you. But with the Lord, it's not difficult for him to provide others with his moral attributes. The Lord provides all believers with the fruit of the Spirit. He gives his love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. So, it doesn't seem like it's too far-fetched that the Lord will provide you with stability and will not allow your foot to be moved. Therefore, if we look to the Lord for help, he can provide us with spiritual stability. The Lord provides us with spiritual stability through his word. God's word helps us stay away from avoidable obstacles. This way, we don't voluntarily put ourselves in a position where our foot may be moved. Proverbs 22.3 A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple carry on and are punished. The prudent man, the man who is careful and exercises sound judgment, can spot out potential problems and avoid them. If we read God's word, we can be like the prudent man, spot out potential pitfalls and avoid them. For example, the Bible tells us to be sober. This way we can look out for things that prevent us from sobriety, such as getting high on drugs or excessive drinking. If we had a tendency to give into non-sobriety, we can also stay away from places that promote it, such as bars, cannabis stores, and wild parties. The Bible tells us to flee sexual immorality and fornication. This way, we can look for pitfalls, such as being alone in a house with someone of the opposite sex, especially at night. 
So God's word is like a GPS. GPS has warned us about traffic crashes that are along the route, as well as heavy traffic that lies ahead. They provide us with detours to avoid the obstacles. Likewise, God's word warns us about the pitfalls that may occur in our lives. So he provides us with the detours to avoid the obstacles. God's word also helps us get through unavoidable obstacles. This word gives us the information on how to do so. This way, our foot will not be moved when we encounter them. For instance, if we are suffering, James 5.13 tells us to pray. If we get hurt emotionally by family, friends, or loved ones, the Bible tells us to forgive. I know for myself, I've gone through bouts of depression. And at times, especially during my college years, it got to a point where I seriously contemplated suicide. I thought to myself, maybe it would be better if I wasn't around. Although God was faithful and got me through it, I personally believe it would have served me well if I got myself into the word and did what it said. It would have helped if I had followed the exhortation to pray to the Lord. This way, I could have relied more on him to not allow my foot to be moved and help me get through that season. So, if we become rooted in God's word, he can help us be rooted in our lives. When something is rooted, it's not as easy to move it. Take trees, for example. The size of an average tree is 25 to 40 feet. On average, they weigh about one ton, which is over 2,200 pounds. The depth of an average tree root grows from two to six feet, and the roots extend and spread out horizontally three to five times beyond the radius of the tree's crown, which is the top part of the tree with the major branches. Imagine how difficult it would be to uproot something that's 40 feet tall, weighs 2,200 pounds, has roots that are a couple of feet deep, and extends over a wide distance. Manually, it would be impossible for someone to do so. Like, it's impossible for someone like you or me to manually pick, pluck up the average tree that's rooted in the ground. It should be hard to pluck up a Christian that's rooted in God's word. As King David said in Psalms 1, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The man who meditates in God's law day and night shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Trees use water to deepen and extend their roots, which makes it harder to uproot them. It helps them not to be moved, even when storms arise. In Jeremiah, God is known as the foundation of living water. We can use God's word as spiritual water so we can help us deepen our spiritual roots. The more we read and obey God's word, the deeper and stronger our spiritual roots can be. The stronger our spiritual roots are, the harder it will be for us to be uprooted. The harder it will be for our foot not to be moved when challenges arise. The third way the Lord helps is that he keeps. In the latter half of verse 3, the psalmist said, He who keeps you will not slumber. Keeps is translated as shemar in Hebrew. It means to hedge, guard, and protect. Keep can also mean to maintain possession of. So keep can mean to protect something in order to maintain possession of it. If we want to keep our jobs, we protect our positions with competence. We show up on time, get work done in a timely manner, and produce high-quality work. If we want to keep our cars operating, we protect its condition through regular maintenance. We get the oil changes, tires aligned, and attend to what needs to be repaired. 
if we want to keep our friends, we protect our relationships through respect. Treat them the way we want to be treated. Verses 3 to 6 points to how the Lord keeps. It points to four ways the Lord protects those who believe in him. First, the Lord keeps on a personal level. In verse 3, what is the first word that comes after keeps? It's you. You is in reference to a singular person. It's probable the psalmist directed the you to an Israelite who traveled to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage festivals. But the Lord keeps those who make the individual decision to believe in him. He keeps us through a personal relationship with him. This means we are not to only rely on the faith of others for the Lord to keep us. We are not only to rely on the faith of our parents or guardians for the Lord to keep us. It would be as if we relied on a friend who works out at the gym and hoped to receive the physical benefits of it. Sure, a friend can encourage and motivate us to go to the gym, but at the end of the day, it's up to us to go to the gym ourselves and work out to receive the benefits. Similarly, the word Lord gives us the spiritual benefits and keeps those who have a personal relationship with him. The Lord also keeps with awareness. Let's now look at all of verse 3. He who keeps you will not slumber. In order to protect something, we need to be awake. This way, we can have the awareness to protect it from any threats that arise. Imagine if a goalie in soccer falls asleep mid-game. Would he or she be able to protect the goal if an opponent tries to kick the ball into the net? What if someone breaks into your home? Are you able to stop the thief from stealing your possessions if you're asleep, not at home, or don't have home security? I know for myself, my identity was stolen about two years ago. For about six months, I had no idea that it was stolen. It wasn't until I made an account on Experian and checked my credit report to notice that something wasn't right. My credit score was low. My address was listed in Denver, Colorado. More than $30,000 in loans were taken out under my name, and there were 26 hard inquiries from car dealerships. I was shocked that all this had taken place, but the good news is that because I was made aware of the identity theft, I can now take care of the problem. Long story short, I got everything clued on my credit report, and it's back to normal, thank God. But this goes to show that being awake and aware is mandatory for protection. The Lord is aware and awake at all times. The Lord doesn't nap during certain parts of the day. He doesn't sleep during certain nights of the week. He doesn't hibernate during certain parts of the year. He's not like us who need an average of eight hours of sleep each day. He's not like us who will get hallucinations, sick, and die if we don't get sleep. He is El Hai, the living God, the God who lives without sleep. As New York City is known as the city that never sleeps, the Lord should be known as the God who never sleeps. Not only is the Lord awake at all times, he's also omnipresent. Omnipresent means present in all places at all times. The Lord is present in all places at all times. He's present up in heaven, and he's present here on the earth. He's present here in New Jersey, as well as Wyoming and the most remote areas of the world. He's even here in the midst of this church. Because the Lord is awake at all times and present in all places, he's aware of everything that occurs. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and good. Because the Lord is omnipresent, he sees all. And his vision is not like a normal 2020 vision 
or even an acceptable 2010 vision. It goes well beyond that. He sees everything that takes place. Since the Lord sees all, he is able to keep watch on the evil that takes place in the world. He keeps watch on the tyrannical governments that rob people of their freedoms. He keeps watch on wicked organizations like Planned Parenthood who contribute to the abortion of 73 million babies per year. He keeps watch on the perverted public school systems that want to hypersexualize our children, push the LGBTQIA agenda on them, brainwash them with drag queen shows, and lie to them about 60-plus genders. Don't think for a second that the Lord hasn't noticed it. He sees all the evil and will deal with it in his time. This applies to us as well. The Lord keeps watch on what we say. He keeps watch on how we act, and he keeps watch on what we watch. So, if we have a foul mouth, treat others poorly, or watch pornography, he sees it and will deal with us if we don't repent. Even as saved Christians, we still have to give an account of our lives to God. The Lord keeps on a national level. He is able to keep an entire nation. Verse 4, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Psalms acknowledge that it's the Lord who keeps Israel. The Lord has kept Israel, his chosen nation, since the beginning of its inception. The Lord kept Israel when he delivered them out of Egypt. He kept them through the wilderness 40 years. He kept them all throughout the period of the judges and kings. He kept them through the 70-year Babylonian exile. He kept them when the Median, Persian, and Grecan empires ruled over them. He kept them in the time of the Maccabees, when Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth defiled their temple in the first abomination of desolation. He kept them through the Roman Empire and persecution of Nero. He kept them through the Holocaust and persecution of Hitler. Also, the Lord keeps Israel today, and he will keep them in the future. He will keep them during the Great Tribulation when the Antichrist will attempt to wipe them off the face of the earth. He will keep them when he sets up his millennial kingdom here on the earth, and he will keep the Israelites who believe on him for eternity in the new heaven and new earth. The Lord can keep Gentile nations as well. Psalm 33:12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The Lord keeps the nation that reveres him as the one true God. Take Egypt, for example. In Isaiah 19, Isaiah prophesied that at a future time, God will send Egypt a savior and a great one who will deliver them. God will keep Egypt and deliver them because they will cry out to him for help against a fierce king. Perhaps this prophecy will take place when Egypt is under the one world dictatorship of the Antichrist and the Lord Jesus delivers them when he returns to the earth. But the point is the Lord will keep the nation that seeks him and comes to him for help. The Lord also keeps the nation that blesses Israel. In Genesis 12, the Lord promised Abram, who was later called Abraham, that he will make him a great nation, which is the nation of Israel. The Lord also said that he will bless those who bless Israel. Israel applies to the physical nation of Israel, who descended from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. Israel also applies to all believers today. Remember, in Galatians 3.7, the Apostle Paul mentioned that those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So, the Lord will keep the nation who treats the nation of Israel and Christians with respect. If we want the Lord to keep America, we as a nation must acknowledge that God is the Lord. Unfortunately, our country has departed from our Christian roots. 
According to the Pew Research Center study, 64% of Americans identified as Christians, whereas 90% of Americans identified as Christians 50 years ago. Out of the 64% of Americans who profess faith today, how many of them are really true born-again believers? If America continues this downward spiral, how much longer will the Lord keep our nation? However, we can change the downward trajectory of our country through prayer, fasting, sharing our faith, and making disciples. If anyone has children, it's crucial to keep the Lord's commandment to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Parents can have a monumental impact on their children, especially when it comes to faith. According to a recent study, 85% of born-again Christians come to faith from the ages of 4 to 14, but 6% of Christians come to faith after the age of 19. We can also change the downward trajectory of our country through voting. It's crucial that we vote for political candidates whose policies align with the Bible and aren't in violation of it. The notion that Christians should not be involved in politics is absolutely false. The welfare of a nation can depend on its leaders. Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people mourn. An entire nation can suffer when they are led by the wrong people. The Lord keeps with effectiveness. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Notice how the psalm mentioned your keeper to the reader. This indicates that the Lord is able to keep in an effective manner. This means that it's in a way that's sufficient, like God's grace is sufficient for us. His ability to keep and protect is sufficient for us as well. The Lord effectively kept the psalmist and Israelites who traveled to Jerusalem in the Old Testament, and he can effectively keep us today, us meaning the ones who believe in him. How does the Lord keep in an effective manner? The latter half of verse 5 answers this. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Shade provides protection and relief from the heat. The right hand symbolizes strength and power. It's known as the Hena dominance since 90% of the world's population is dominant with their right hand. So when the psalmist mentioned that the Lord is a shade at your right hand, he meant that he's the protector of your strength. Therefore, the Lord keeps in an effective manner since he protects our strength like shade effectively protects us from the heat. Not only does the Lord effectively protect our strength, he can effectively protect us at all times. Verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Old Testament Israelites who traveled to Jerusalem had to encounter different issues at different parts of the day. During the daytime, they had to face the sun. If we're out in the sun for multiple hours, some of us would probably get tired. The reason is the body goes into overdrive and works extra hard to keep our core temperature regulated. And there's an increased possibility of dehydration, heat exhaustion, and even heat stroke. So imagine how the Israelites felt walking all day in the sun, especially during the spring festivals when the temperatures were warmer. At night, there's a possibility the travelers face criminal activity. Has anyone ever heard of the phrase, nothing good happens past midnight? Well, there's some truth behind that statement. The reason is violent crimes tend to happen at night. According to a 2017 study, 54% of aggravated assaults, 56% of robberies, 
59% of rapes, 65% of murders, and 87% of DWIs take place at night. The travelers who may have also faced animal attacks at night. Take wolves, for example. They are known to be fierce predators who reside in a desert and may attack at night. The Bible describes the wolves in a similar fashion. For instance, Jeremiah 5.6 indicates that wolves reside in a desert and have the ability to destroy. Habakkuk 1.8 mentions the wolves as fierce and creatures of the evening. And Zephaniah 3.3 hints that evening wolves will not stop attacking until the morning. Seeing that wolves reside in a desert and attack at night, it's possible they could have attacked the Israelites who traveled to Jerusalem. It's also possible they could have attacked them while they were asleep at night. Although the travelers faced multiple challenges all throughout the day, the Lord still kept and protected them. So if we're out in the sun, he, the Lord can protect us from heat exhaustion. If we're out at night, he can keep us from violent criminals. Therefore, if we look to the Lord for our help, he can effectively keep us in the daytime as well as the night. The Lord can effectively keep us at all times because he's omnipotent. This means he's all-powerful and has the ability to do anything he pleases. Psalms 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven, in earth, in the seas, and all deep places. If the Lord pleases to do something, he will do so, and there's nothing that anyone can do about it. If the Lord pleases to keep us in the morning, he will do so. If the Lord pleases to keep us in the afternoon, he will do so. If the Lord pleases to keep us at night, he will do so. Also, keep note that one of his names is Jehovah Majen. The Lord is my protector and defender. So protection is a part of his character. It's a part of who he is. The fourth way the Lord helps is that he preserves. Verses 7 and 8 point to four ways the Lord preserves. First, the Lord preserves from evil. In verse 7, the psalmist says, The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. Satan and his demons may have attempted to thwart the journeys of the Jewish travelers, but the Lord made it so that they completed their journeys to Jerusalem. Like the psalmist, the Lord can help us get through anything that Satan and his demons may throw our way. For example, the Lord can get us through temptations. He can get us through the temptation to lie. He can get us through the temptation to steal. He can get us through the temptation to have premarital sex. He can get us through the temptation to gossip and backbite. He can get us through the temptation to tell someone off and curse them out if they make us mad. The Lord can also get us through difficult seasons. He can get us through health problems. He can get us through family drama. He can get us through the death of a loved one. And he can get us through a pandemic. It's a guarantee that all of us will face trouble and hardship in our lives. This isn't the health and wealth prosperity gospel that teaches believers will not face any difficulties in life. This isn't karma, which teaches bad things happen only because we did something bad. So while it's a guarantee that trouble and hardship will come at some point, the Lord can help us get through them if we put our trust in him. Therefore, when you encounter temptation or difficulties, trust that the Lord will help you get through them. He will make a way for us to get through life's difficulties. We can all probably think of a time or season where the Lord has gotten us through either temptation or difficult season. In all honesty, we can probably spend the entire night giving testimony after testimony on how the Lord got us through them. One way the Lord gets us through difficulties is through the Holy Spirit. 
If you're a Christian, the Lord has given you the Holy Spirit to help you in tribulation. Like Jesus said in John, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit helps to preserve you in that he teaches you all things. He teaches you through God's word. You gain knowledge from reading God's word, but the Holy Spirit helps you understand it. He helps you know the meaning behind the verses in scripture. As it is written in 1 Corinthians 2, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Hence, the Holy Spirit could help you understand that men are to always pray and not faint. The Holy Spirit can help you understand that those who put their trust in the Lord shall be safe. The Holy Spirit can help you understand to be still and know that the Lord is God. The Holy Spirit teaches us through people. He can lead us to fellow believers and even strangers to teach us God's truth. Has anyone ever had a moment when they were in a difficult season and someone gave them a word of encouragement? It can go a long way. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Words of encouragement can speak life to us as well as help us persevere in difficulties. So if we see someone having a bad day or going through a rough patch, encourage them. You never know how it can make someone's day. The Holy Spirit helps to preserve you in that he brings to remembrance what the Lord said to you in his word. Can anyone recall a time where they read or memorized scripture and it came to memory at a later date? If so, a reason may be the Holy Spirit put it there. He might have put that verse into your memory. So if we read about God's peace in Philippians 4, don't be surprised that it comes into memory when we need his peace in a difficult season. If we read about joy in various trials, there's a possibility that the verse may come to the forefront of our thoughts when we're in a trial ourselves. The Holy Spirit can preserve us through understanding and remembrance. Like water can preserve us on a hot summer day, the living waters of the Holy Spirit can help preserve us in difficulties. Second, the Lord preserves our souls. Take a look at the latter half of verse 7. He shall preserve your soul. Soul is known as the pesh in Hebrew, which means life. So when the psalmist said, the Lord shall preserve your soul, he meant the Lord shall preserve your life. The Lord can prolong our days since he's the only one who gives us life. No other gods or false deities can give us life, but it's the Lord who gives us to all life, breath, and all things. The Lord gives life on two different levels. The Lord gives life on an earthly level. The Lord gives us what we need to be alive. He gives us our brains. He gives us our hearts. He gives us our kidneys. He gives us our liver. He gives us our lungs. He gives us our skin, and he gives us our bones. The Lord also gives us the basic essentials of living. He gives us food. He gives us water. He gives us air, and he gives us shelter. So the Lord is the only reason we're alive today. He is the reason we wake up in the morning. He is the reason we can function throughout the day, and he is the reason we're all here at church tonight. The Lord also gives life on an eternal level. Only the Lord can grant us the gift of eternal life. He grants it to anyone who believes in him. What is that promise listed in John 3.16? What is the promise of the gospel? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Although we're all appointed to die once in our earthly bodies, we don't have to experience death in the glorified body. We don't have to die again in a body that's 
immortal, incorruptible, and imperishable. If the Lord gives life on an earthly and eternal level, then it's not unreasonable for us to look to him for help. The third way the Lord preserves is that he preserves our going out and coming in. In the first half of verse 8, the psalmist says, The Lord shall preserve your going out and coming in. This is to preserve in the geographic sense. Going out refers to a place of departure. You leave from one location to another. For instance, the Israelites go out from the different parts of Israel to travel to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage feast. Coming in refers to a place of return. You return from a place and go back to your starting location. At the end of each major festival, the Israelites come in from Jerusalem to where they live. So, from the geographical aspect, if the Lord shall preserve your going out and coming in, he will preserve you throughout your entire trip. He preserved the Israelites throughout their trips when they travel for the feast. The Lord can preserve us throughout our trips as well. He can preserve us when we go out shopping and come into our homes. He can preserve us when we go out to work and come into our homes. He can preserve us when we go out for vacations and come into our homes. Even today, the Lord preserves us. Think of this. All of us had to go from somewhere to come in the sanctuary. And Lord willing, he will preserve us when we go out from the sanctuary tonight to come into our homes. The Lord additionally preserves from this time forth and even forevermore. If you look at all of verse 8, the psalmist says, The Lord shall preserve your going out and coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. This is to preserve in the chronological sense. Time forth points to a current period of time. The Lord preserved the Israelites the entire time they traveled to and from Jerusalem for the feast. Forevermore points to an infinite period of time. The Lord preserved the believing Israelites well beyond the time they traveled to Jerusalem. He preserved them throughout their entire lives. He preserves the believing ones in heaven today. He will preserve them in the future millennial kingdom as well as the new heaven and new earth. So when the psalmist mentioned from this time forth and forevermore, he meant that the Lord will preserve in the present, future, and for eternity. This applies to us who believe in Christ. The Lord can preserve us from the time we go out from our homes and come into them, whether it's for hours, days, weeks, perhaps months. The Lord can also preserve our going out and coming in and throughout our entire lives here on earth. He can preserve us beyond our earthly temporal lives into the afterlife. And like the believing Israelites, he can preserve us up in heaven there in Christ's 1,000-year reign on the earth and forever in the new heaven and new earth. Let us praise the Lord who preserves and helps us in our journey in life. So, the Lord helps us in numerous ways, but his help is most prevalent in the gospel. All of us need help. We need help because we have sinned against the almighty God of the universe and violated his laws. Most, if not all of us, have told a lie at some point in our lives. Some of us may have stolen something, whether it's money, clothes, or illegally downloaded music from the internet. Many of us have practiced idolatry by putting sports, money, work, and relationships ahead of God. Whether we commit one sin or every sin, we all stand guilty before God and therefore need his help. We need someone to help us because if God gave us justice, all of us would end up in hell and eventually the lake of fire. And in hell, there is no help. There is no purgatory that would help any of us escape the everlasting torment of the lake of fire. 
But the good news of the gospel is that the Lord helps us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus helped us in that he sacrificed his life for our sins. His death, burial, and resurrection helps us escape the pits of hell. His sacrifice helps us to be reconciled to God and have a relationship with him. If anyone here has yet to believe on the Lord Jesus, please do so. Repent, which means to turn away from sin and look to the Lord for help. If you believe in him, he can help you from this time forth and even forevermore. He can help you with the gift of everlasting life. Let us close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for all your help. I pray that we can be like the psalmist and look to you for our help. Thank you for being the God who made heaven and earth. You are worthy, O Lord, of all glory, honor, and power, for you created all things. I pray that you will not allow our foot to be moved. Help us be unwavering like you, for you are the Lord. You do not change. I pray that you keep us. With you, no weapon formed against thee shall prosper. I pray that you preserve us from this time forth and even forevermore. For whoever believes in you should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen and amen.